0: Take a seat. It's amazing seeing the house so full and full to kind of overflowing. Um, it's a real privilege. I'm not sure how this morning's going to go because it's like with it being Pentecost or oh, our Pentecost celebration, we're nice and delayed. Um, which once again was my fault not used to following a church calendar that regularly I don't know what churches you come from but um, church calendar wasn't necessarily a big deal and then I think specifically in charismatic churches and churches we probably come from or more familiar with and I always knew Christmas was a big deal like, especially as a kid growing up, that was when I got presents. <laughs> so like, that was important. And then Easter was a big deal. And it's like, that's the one that we, we focus on Jesus a lot. And it's like, ah, oh, the gospel. We know what Jesus did. And we got Good Friday. And like we, we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. But for me, I, I, I don't remember big celebrations about Pentecost. I know we, we probably had them and we, we spoke about them. And every now and then you'd mention it. But I don't remember it being a big deal when... I'm like, actually, especially for the church, this should probably be our biggest celebration. Not because, like, hey, now we get everything we want. Not because now we get the, the power that we want. But this is the, the day that the church was formed and empowered to be who we were called to be. This is where it, it turns us from, like, look at me, look at me, to actually, God, you have equipped me with a purpose. You have given me a reason to live. You have shown me what I am called for. But we'll get there. Can you put that slide up actually? Um, I was praying and then this like, word came into my mind. I know I've seen it before and I was like, ikigai. I'm like, what? I can't even remember what it was. But it's a Japanese concept where there's just... You've got to love Venn diagrams if you're in those churches. Um <laughs> But it's basically just the overlap of all the things like what you're good at, what you love, um, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. And it's it's looking at the different aspects of how that overflows. And it's it's like, don't focus on like, actually, I need a job like that. But there's just an aspect of every area of our life can overlap. And the, the gifts God has given you, it all overlaps. Um, you can actually take it off. when we. I'll take it off. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you guys are going to stare at the screen and get distracted. So and the major thing I wanted to highlight there is not for this longing that it's like, I've got to find the right job, and I'm not in the right job. I've got to find the perfect gifting for me. Otherwise, I'm not happy. It's like everybody, it's like, oh, work a job you love, and then you'll never work a day in your life. It's like these sayings, like... They're nice, but they, they never really satisfy because what we really need is to find the way that your identity connects with how God has made you to love the people around you and serve the world. Those four relationships have to be in perfect like alignment for you to really be fulfilling your God-given potential, your God-given purpose, and that's where you are going to be the happiest the most satisfied, the most joyful. It's, a, it's like as you find that, you can make a living out of it. But it's also it's like you actually serve those around you and it fills you and it inspires you. But it all falls under the right relationship to God. And I was thinking, you look at the biblical story and we zoom out and we understand God made man with this purpose. And He said, I've made you to sewer the world. And go and love each other. And it's not good that you're alone. So he made a helper fit for him. And, to, and together Adam and Eve were created with this God-given purpose. To steward the world. To like walk in relationship and intimacy with God. And actually expand and multiply and fill the earth. With just the God-given beauty of the garden. Where we were created for that purpose. But we know that sin came in and destroyed it. And I had this picture of... If you guys were here on Wednesday, it's just a cup. It was almost like our life. And sin has come in and just poked holes in it. And we look at it. Sorry, my hand is fine. Don't worry, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) The blood was shed for... No, that's not today. Sorry, today is the spirit. Pour it out. (laughs) (laughs) And God's given you this cup to be filled. And for you to actually carry your cup. And your cup is kind of your, your role to play. Your purpose. But we've damaged it. And sinners come in and poked holes everywhere. And poked holes and poked holes. So we're like, okay, actually, if you're gonna, instead of messing, I'm just going to turn it upside down. And our whole world and our whole life has been like flipped upside down. And then we're saying, okay, but now I want to be filled with God. And... If we try and fill this upside down, I was tempted to have like pouring water here yeah, and it wouldn't work. Um, but you can imagine it. And there's a picture of us, this brokenness that sin has caused and this damage between us and the world. It doesn't take long for us to see the division in the world. Whether it's Russia and Ukraine or American politics or South African politics and you've got... Everybody fighting. You just look in families and we've got fighting. We don't know how to relate to each other. This is just the consequence of sin. We know this. This is not rocket science. The biblical story, though, is the, the picture that actually everything has gone wrong, and God says, "I see the cries and the pain of my people." The ultimate picture is these people have been trapped in Egypt, and they' slaves. And we are slaves. Whether you're a slave to your sin or whether you're a slave to that base nature or that sinful nature where it's like in a family, in a marriage, this is the person you have said I love and I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And then they do something that offends you and you're a slave to the fact that you want to respond in anger. It's like, oh no, no, I shouldn't, but I just, I'm angry. And what they did was wrong. And. I'm actually I'm righteous. I'm because I'm standing up for what's right. No, no, no. You're a slave to that desire to be right. Because if you had the strength to actually say, you know what? I see the hurt and the brokenness, I see where this is coming from. I have the strength inside of me to cover over that and to absorb that wound. And actually, like that's Jesus saying, like, turn the other cheek. You get struck. You've got the strength to not respond in anger. But actually say, you know what, I can take that. I can take that shot because you're hurting now. I can take that shot and I can respond in love so that we can actually have a healthier marriage. And then it creates an environment where you can actually be loved and be confronted with the brokenness. So the story of that is God coming in and setting the Israelites free from Egypt. And we have the miraculous signs and the plagues and they set free and then... 50 days later, they get given the law, which like we look at it, it's like, oh, that seems so legalistic. It's like, no, these are the ways of God. It's God stepping in and saying, I am going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make an agreement that not only am I going to rescue you out of slavery, I'm going to enter into a relationship with you and you're going to actually understand how this relationship is going to work. And I'm going to give you my words. That have been spoken to you. And because of this, you're going to know how you're supposed to live. This is your way of actually being set free from the slavery that's inside of you. We've spoken about it before. But it's like God has to set the Israelites free from Egypt. And then he has to get the Egypt out of them. Because Egypt becomes a picture of just the ways of the world. And if we're honest, we look and we see that actually that Egypt is still inside of us. Like we might have been saved. We might have seen like, man, I really love Jesus. But I'm not always capable of living it out in my own life. And God wants to come and bless us. And he wants to actually give us the ability to transform that. So that's what the Israelites celebrate. They they didn't call it Pentecost. They call it the Feast of Weeks. So it's seven weeks after Passover. Seven weeks after Easter, we are supposed to celebrate Pentecost. They celebrated the feast of weeks. Because it's seven. It's the perfect amount of time. Like actually after it. It's just the picture of like number seven is like completeness. There's a there's a wholeness. There's a there's a like a godliness about this number. And it's not a it's like we've missed the number. So that's not the important thing. But it's just showing <laughs> my inability and um, no. Um I want to show you one thing from Leviticus like we're not going to go hectically into this but Leviticus 23 verse 15 from the day after the sabbath the day you brought the sheaf of wave of the wave offering count of seven full weeks so they brought a sheaf like of the grain so the first offering that they brought they would bring to celebrate like passover so it would be like that would be the start of their celebration the start of their offering Count 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of a new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour. Baked with yeast as a wave offering. You might be sitting like, what the heck? What? It's like, cool, we did a wave offering. I've never done a wave offering to the Lord. It's like, woo. But there's a, is a, the difference is they start with a sheaf of grain. And then they bring a loaf of bread. Like what's the difference there? I had a couple of mumblings. For me the picture is the grain is still, it's raw, it's isolated, it's on its own. It's all, you break it apart and you've got the individual like the grain, like of the wheat. But when you grind it and you break it and you break it into a loaf, there's unity there. You've taken the variety of different seeds and gifts and abilities and you've ground it together and you're bringing unity. And there's a picture of what God was doing with the law. He was saying, actually, I'm making you a people. Together, as you have the shared set of values, I'm going to make you unified. And you are going to become the Israelites. You are going to become my chosen people. And you are gonna be broken like you're gonna be broken, but then baked together to build something. And the same thing, the New Testament at Pentecost, where God is saying, actually, you're no longer just the Jews, you're Jews and Gentiles being brought together into one body, into one like loaf of bread basically, where it's like you you together are gonna to become an offering to God. So we got that idea actually we've taken out of slavery to become the chosen people, to become the sons of God. He actually says, Israel is my chosen firstborn son. God wants to bring us out of slavery and into sonship. He wants to make us His chosen people. And we know that and we like that. And we say, yes, I sign up for that. But if we're honest, we don't have the power to actually live that out that's where when Jesus had died, rose again and speaking to his disciples in Acts 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's what we're asking for today. That's what we're trusting for. We're asking for God to actually pour out His Spirit upon us. We're celebrating it, but we're actually asking like, I I don't want to just read about it. I don't want to read about like, okay, they celebrated it then. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Part of me that wants to clarify, and I want to go through the whole Bible and show you what is possible with the Holy Spirit. I think it's part of it that I need to is because I think we, if you're familiar with churches that are open to this and open to the moving of the Spirit, I think there comes an expectation that, okay, when the Spirit comes, it's going to look like this. We're going to have miracles like this. We're going to have craziness like this. You're going to have, and you might be afraid of that or you might be longing for that. And I want to say that we don't chase after the phenomena. We don't chase after the manifestation of the Spirit. We long for God to move in His ways. Whatever He wants, we look for. Whatever He is going to empower, we trust for. We're not going to look for, okay, it has to work in this way, these gifts. Whether you focus on the Romans 12 gifts or the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts or actually you're looking for the Ephesians 4 gifts. If you're familiar with that, we can go into it and like it would take us a whole series. Or we can go through the whole Bible and see how the Spirit came upon people and actually moved them. Starting with Bezalel who was like inspired by the Spirit to actually craft the tabernacle to house the presence of God. Then you've got the priests, you've got the kings, you've got where God comes upon them. You've got the judges who were empowered to actually go and transform society, set people free. But it never lasted. Because it was always this temporary way. Because we couldn't quite get in to the presence of God. You had one person who once a year could go in to the presence of God. You had the high priest where we would all sit and watch. And we were blown away by the fact that one person could actually go in and meet with God. And hopefully he had cleansed himself enough that he would not die. So that he could actually cleanse the people for one more year. And that was all just a shadow and a picture of how Much we should actually be in reverence for God. It's like we we take it so lightly. And um, I take it so lightly. But we get to meet with God. Right now. Right here. We get to actually trust God. Because Jesus has like torn the curtain into. And he's made a way that we can actually enter in. And technically actually that the spirit could be poured out so we could be filled and filled and filled. And just the simple illustration of this cup is I think there's many people here that it's like maybe you're not sure whether you actually can follow Jesus where you want to. And I want to say, like, go back to the start, that ikigai. Like, actually, where you find ultimate fulfillment will be following Jesus to the fullness of what you have. And it's not, Jesus, come and fix me, come and fix my problems, then I'll serve you. It's like, that's a picture of us having the cup the wrong way around. I had an incredible conversation with somebody in the church where it's like, can I be upset with God? I'm like, yeah, you can be. It's like, if things aren't going the way you should be, like where you think they should be, if you've trusted God, yeah, then your anger, your frustration at God. A third of the Psalms is laments. But I said to him, like, honestly, every time I've tried to do that, I've realized that there's an aspect of my frustration is actually it's my sin. I'm part of the problem. And God is just trying to get my attention of turning this cup upside down. Marion said, at prayer, enough about me. Enough. It's not about my problems. It's not about God you should have. Why didn't you? How come you didn't? It's like, actually, I'm going to turn the cup up and say, God, I trust you. Amen. Whatever you have for me. And then Jesus is so gentle that he comes and he actually starts repairing all of these wounds that sin has caused. So that we can actually be filled with the Spirit to the fullness. So that it's not only like filling us, but it's filled to Overflowing. Like, it blows my mind that he I'm going to actually read John 14 the whole chapter because we got this idea of the spirit coming and us being empowered and we need to be these people but he was sitting there with the disciples and he, he got them worried because he's like no I need to go away he's like no but I'll follow you he's like no I need to go away and it's going to be better for you and so they're like, no, but I'll follow you wherever you go. Like, no, Peter, you don't understand. It's like, I need to go. There's another stage where he talks about it. It's like, actually, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink from? The cup becomes a picture of the suffering that Jesus was going to endure for us. And the cup becomes a picture like that all through like history. There's, there's something of the Holy Grail is a picture of a cup. Which technically held like or they say held the, the blood of Jesus from like Joseph went and figured it and he poured it out, but it just becomes this picture of, actually, if you can drink the cup that Jesus drank from, it's where the life of God is. You see it like that imagery, if you're familiar with it, even goes down into something like Harry Potter, where there's a time where um, it's a it, Dumbledore has to drink like this, this, like, bit of water, and he has to drink it all the way down. Otherwise, it doesn't open like what, what needs to happen. And it's just a symbolic picture that it's like there's no running away from the way of Christ, there's no running away from the life that you are called to actually live. We, we long to try and find the secrets of, like, how can I avoid suffering? How can I avoid the way of Jesus and unfortunately we can't but Jesus says let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way to where I'm going. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you will have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I now have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus promises a new helper, another helper. Just like Jesus was the comforter and the helper while the disciples were there, he was speaking to them, leading them, teaching them, guiding them. So the spirit comes and empowers us and he strengthens us and he guides us and leads us. And that's available to all of us. But then there's also the filling of the spirit. And, and like we can't get into all of the details, but there's something of an experience of the, being filled with the spirit that I'm longing for. That if you have an experience, you would experience today because it is available for you. Not because you earned it, not because you're good enough, because you're not, but because Jesus has made a way. The first thing that the enemy is going to do is say you're not good enough. You don't deserve this. You have done this. You've done that. You've done this. Look at what you think. Think about your past. You don't deserve this. And Jesus says it's nothing about what you deserve. It's about what I have done for you. And the father wants to come and actually say I want to fill you. And the first picture of actually being filled is that you realize that you're a son and a daughter of God you are assured of that relationship being so secure it cannot be undone by anything that you can do so secure because God has come and actually said I am making a covenant with you a covenant of peace And there's one last challenge. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these uh, two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You do not know what you are asking. Jesus said to them, Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, just because they thought of it first. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, however, uh, whoever wants to be great among you, must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many i think we have a view that like when the spirit comes and empowers us then everything will be easy then church will be easy, then life will be easy, then marriage will be easy. My marriage is amazing, but it's just because of the Spirit. No, but we've got a mindset where it's like, actually, if we just get, if we get all the the levers right, if we get everything right, if we we do the service right, if we pray enough, then everything will be easy because the Spirit will come and empower us. And there may be seasons like that, there may be moments like that, And there is an aspect of when the spirit comes it's like hey man i know what to do but actually it still takes us drinking the cup that jesus drank from life is still going to be challenging it's like actually the more you're filled with the spirit the picture in the bible unfortunately is more and more service more and more sacrifice more and more love more it's like anytime it talks about the gifts and overflowing with what god has It's like it talks in Romans about the gifts of leadership and generosity and prophecy and service. But he says, actually, what's important is for you to love one another. And 1 Corinthians, it talks about like prophecy and tongues and these power gifts and discernment of spirit and learning to interpret tongues. And we can trust for all of that. But he says, actually, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that's the way of love. Because we love focusing on the gifts and I trust for more of the gifts to operate and for you to find them and to experience them and to operate in them. And there's more available for us. But actually what sets us apart is our love. Because the gifts of the Spirit are important. But I think more important is the fruit of the Spirit coming. And there's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We long for the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter stood up and said, These men are not drunk as you suppose, but this was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Prophesy doesn't mean predict the future. Prophesy actually means to profess what God is saying. What God is speaking into that situation. Sometimes it can talk about the future. But sometimes it is just the word that you need to hear at that moment. What God is speaking to you. Lord, I ask that you would empower. Almost every time you see a picture of people being filled with the Spirit in the Bible. It responds in exclamation or declaration of God's goodness. And they would preach with boldness to declare Jesus we are being filled, not so that we can have a nice life, so that we can have a nice church, so we can, as we are being filled so we can boldly declare with our life and with our words and with our actions and with our love, with our finances, with our work, with our passions, with everything coming into alignment with what God has for us, to declare God's goodness and His glory and who Jesus is. So what are we supposed to do? We repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.